Well, let's look at um, John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to begin in verse 19. Or excuse me, John chapter 19, verse 1. John chapter 19, verse 1. And we're going to pick up uh, where they sentenced Jesus to death. We're going to kind of go over the uh, story of the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, in preparation for the main subject, which is the great exchange. I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests of the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By Allah, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters and again asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. You know, Pilate's, uh, I believe, kind of beginning to realize, I'm not sure I really want to be involved with this. <laughs> I like when they called the disciples in. Uh, for speaking in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 4. And they said, uh, you know, we got to like uh, shut this whole thing down. And uh, so the, they got like all of the elders together. Uh, I always picture it in a room. I don't know where they were at. They could have been on the streets. But uh, Gamaliel spoke up and he said, hold on a second. Maybe we shouldn't do anything because if we do something and it is of God, we might actually find ourselves to be fighting against God. But if it's not of God, it's going to come to nothing. So let's just be hands off, right? Well, that wasn't th this here situation. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back to the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus didn't give an answer. Uh, why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no longer a friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the pla uh, of the platform that is called the stone pavement. In Hebrew, Gabbatha. It is... Uh, it was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from king of the Jews, he said. He said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it in a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there until the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out of it. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. These things happen in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, not one of his bones was broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. And then let's skip down uh, to John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, when it was dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for until they still hadn't Until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stopped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she cried, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was uh, the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him. Mary, Jesus uh, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried, Rabboni, which is translated uh, Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find your brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them this message. 
That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy, and they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so I had to read that very long passage of Scripture so we'd all be on the same page concerning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And, um, you know, there's so many accounts, great details of all of the pain and suffering that Christ himself went through uh, in his body. And then even on his spirit was placed all of our sins and all of our sicknesses and all of our poverty, all of the curse. And so I want to cut, pick up over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, as it is written, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14 knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up also by Jesus and will present us with you. Now we're going to jump over to chapter 5 and we're going to read in the uh, New King James Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning with verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. So if one died for all, then all died. This is verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. So when we think of Christ dying on the cross, and going through the pain and the suffering and all of the rejection and everything that he went through. Do you know uh, that the Word of God tells us that Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So that the life that Jesus lived here on the earth, he didn't live that life for himself. And the things that he did here on the earth, he didn't do for himself. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I see my father do. And he said, I'm here to do the will of my father. So Jesus actually is the will of God in human form. So if you want to know what is the will of God concerning any situation, you, you have to look at what your experiences are. No. That will not tell you the will of God. In fact, many times that will tell you the will of the enemy. <laughs> Just because you experienced it doesn't mean that that is the will of God or the plan of God for you. That's why people kind of wonder, like, uh, if God is real, if he exists, and if he is a loving God and a good God, how is it possible that there is so much evil and destruction and death in the world? Well, that's because God's not in charge of the world. And somebody said, well, how could God not be in charge of the world? Well, because when he created man, he actually delegated uh, the authority over this earth 
to mankind. Remember he said, guard it, keep it. See, I've made all this. Uh, uh, he created mankind last. And so he made the sky and the earth and the sea and all the animals and all of the fish and all of the stars and the planets for mankind. And he said to Adam, I have given you dominion. Take dominion over it. But what happened? Well, Adam uh, succumbed to the temptation of the devil in the form of the serpent. And when he did that, you know, Ephesians even says that Satan is the god of this world or the god of this world system. So that's when death and destruction and sickness and uh, poverty came into the world. Because if you read the word of God, you'll find out before sin came in the garden, everything was wonderful. And after Christ returns and the believer goes to heaven, everything is wonderful. There's no sickness, no disease after, no sickness, no disease before. Oh, what is the source of sickness and disease? Well, the sickness and disease comes from the enemy, comes from the devil, comes from the realm of darkness. And so Jesus, everything that he did in his earth walk was to fulfill the scripture and to what? that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross and enduring the punishment for your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world, he was doing it for you and for me. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, if one died for all, that's speaking of Jesus, that means all of us were dead. Yeah. If one man died for all of mankind, that meant that we were all dead. But I'm so glad verse 15 is in there. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. In other words, tied up in the death of Jesus Christ is the power of an endless life. Or the power of the very life of God. As Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly or in abundance. And that Greek word for life there is the Greek word zoe, which means the life of God and the nature of God. It's the quality of life. Many times we'll look at eternal life and we'll say, I'm going to live forever. Well, I don't know if you could, what you consider living forever, but actually eternal life is aeonius zoe. In other words, it is the life of God because whether you live with God for eternity or you live apart from God in hell for eternity, your spirit goes on forever. And so when Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, he is talking about the life of God and the nature of God. What happens? Well, let's continue to read and we'll find out. 
I'm just going to read those two verses again. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer, or we don't know him this way anymore. Because of this, well, we're not dealing with him according to the flesh. We thought, man, this is an amazing man. Like, uh, he's a good man, right? He didn't even take that on himself, remember? They said, good teacher, and he said, don't call me good. There is none good but God. Remember he said that? He's like, the goodness that you see in me is not from me. It's from God. And when you receive Jesus, you receive everything that comes along with Jesus. You receive his nature. His, uh, the goodness that he has from God flows from God through him into us. The life that he has, the love that he has. Amen. Love. You look at, you want to study love. You want to study God, study love. Because God is love. Amen. You look at 1 uh, Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not full of pride. It's not boasting. It's not looking to itself. It's not happy when something bad happens to people. It's happy when something good happens to people. And it's not like just for a moment that love lasts forever. It goes on and on and on. It's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It rejoices when right and truth prevail. Um, this is not from this world. You know, I don't know if you've heard of um, T.L. Osborne. He went on uh, to be with the Lord a few years ago. But uh, he was a world evangelist, world missionary, and had some of the most amazing miracles that I've ever heard of. And um, just a, a wonderful man of God, Melody and I had the uh, honor to be in some of his meetings. And uh, when he first stepped out to be a missionary, he took the Bible and his wife and a few of their belongings, and they moved to India to be missionaries. Because at that time when you were a missionary, uh, you moved there and pretty much didn't come back, maybe for five years or something like that, uh, if ever. And so, um, so they moved to India. And they started talking to the people in India and, you know, ministering the word of God to them. And they said, you know, this is the holy word of God. This is God speaking to you. This is what the Bible says. And they said, oh, there's many religions in India. They said, uh, oh, well, some of them said, well, we have the holy Quran. And this is our letter from God. Right? I don't want to go too long in this illustration, but. So, and they dealt with the Hindus as well. And they found that one holy book was not a match for another holy book. I like it because everybody's really quiet right now. <laughs> because what? Well, he came back. They came back after a year and felt like complete failures because they weren't really able to, uh, you know, I call it the romantic view of ministry, you know. Everybody in the whole country didn't convert and come to receive Jesus instantly and, and so on and so forth. So they were praying and seeking the Lord. And they went to uh, some meetings back here in the States. 
And uh, they saw the miraculous power of God operating through a minister. Miracles, signs and wonders. And, and then they had some different experiences with the Lord and they said, you know what, we're going to sit down, we're going to read our New Testament again like we've never read it before. We're going to look like it's fresh and then we're going to act like it's true. So they did and they saw like, wow, Jesus went about teaching, preaching and healing. Teaching, preaching and healing. So they said, hmm, we're going to have a healing meeting. So they put out flyers, brochures, advertisements, and they had a healing meeting. They said, now, if you need healing, you just come up here and you're going to be healed. And you know what? It doesn't always happen this way. But everyone that came up, the Lord healed them. Praise the Lord. It was awesome. But you know what? The greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles, it is supernatural, that every believer has is Romans 5.5. 5. That the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Actually, John said in the epistles, we know that we have passed from death yes. to life yes. because we love. Yes. And so you talk about the love of God and that God is love. And I think one of the greatest miracles, if not the greatest miracle that is in the life of every believer that comes with being recreated, our new creation in Christ Jesus, is that the love of God shows up in your heart. Amen. Well, how do you know that? Well, the love of God constrains us, <laughs> right? That's what we just read. The love of God is, is like constraining. Like if somebody was up here constraining, they're kind of holding me back. Like, hold on, don't do that. You ever somebody, like, I like to use road rage as an example, so you could see somebody that's really upset on uh, the interstate, and uh, they're upset because some tanker overspilled on the bridge that connects Maryland and Virginia, right? So traffic is backed up for, like, I mean, hours and hours and hours. I might have been in that traffic, but I didn't have any road rage. I was very calm. But you think, how can a tanker, like, block every single lane? That's amazing. <laughs> but I'm thankful that it didn't cause a big fire and spill and stuff like that. So, <laughs> but you want to have a constraining force. Well, the love of God constrains you. So how do you know that you're born again? Well, number one, uh, Romans says that you actually have the witness of the Spirit himself. Bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But then also John says, we know we've passed from death to life because we love. Well, somebody said, well, yeah, but uh, I've been doing some very unloving stuff. Well, that doesn't mean that you're not born again. I mean, you get born again by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, you don't, you're not born into it. I remember there were some people... The Midwest, when I lived in the Midwest, that there was a, a culture, a mentality of, well, I've just always believed. And I said, well, you can always believe, but the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. And so like we were talking about before, Satan's the God of this world, the rule in the world system. That's where all the death, destruction, sickness, disease, fighting, all of that stuff is coming from. Because Why? Well, as soon as Adam sinned, uh, you know, God said, you'll die in that day. Well, he did not physically drop dead. But he became separated from God. He died on the inside. And so that's why 
Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the law, said to Jesus, like, how can you enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said what? You must be born again. Literally, in my Bible, the margin, it'll tell you what it says in the original language. It says, you must be born from above. So somebody said, well, can I just be like, if I'm just really good and I do good things, won't that get the stamp of approval from God and I'll go to heaven? And I say, you know what? It doesn't matter if you did everything perfectly good, which is not possible, but let's pretend that you could. Why? Because you must be born again, Jesus said. Uh, When we keep reading here, notice verse 17 says, if any man be in Christ or be engrafted into Christ or be in union with Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And so you need to become brand new on the inside, recreated in Christ Jesus. And when that happens, you are born again And you are a child of God, and the love of God is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. But just because that love is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, and you are a new creation on the inside, you're a new creature, doesn't mean that everything becomes easy, and now you just automatically will let that love dominate you. What will happen? Well, what will happen is you'll try to do some of the same stuff you used to do, and you won't have the same enjoyment you used to have. In fact, if you want to find most frustrated people on earth, it is a Christian who is not acting like one. Because their outward man is like, I still want to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to tell them what I think of them. And that feels really good to the outward man when it's happening. But as soon as you have uh, vomited on somebody, so to speak... And, and, you know, God was not in the thunder. God was not in the lightning, but he was what? In the still, small voice. So as soon as the lightning and the thunder of your flesh is calmed down, <laughs> that, you know, you have the inward witness, still, small voice saying, that was not too lovely. <laughs> and you're like, oh. That's the love of God constraining us, trying to help us. It's something that's not of ourselves. In ourselves, my wife kind of laughs at me sometimes. I say, you know, I call myself a jerk without Jesus. So if I didn't have the love of God, you know, I would just, I would not even like myself. Right? You'd just be short and self-centered. And, but man, the love of God, you can't allow the love of God to dominate you and to flow through you and act that way. The, the two cannot go together. And Jesus said that they're actually going to know believers because of our love. Like, how do, you, how do they know? Because of our love. And so this is the great exchange. That when we come to Jesus, everything that he was, he delivers to us. And everything that we were gets delivered to him. Whew. He took our death so we could take his life. He took our sickness so we could have his health. He took our poverty so we could have his wealth. He took our bondage so we could have his freedom. All right, now let's reread 
2 Corinthians 4, 14, 13 and 14. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it's written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing this, uh, that he that raised up the Lord will raise us up by Jesus and present us with you. Well, what's the context? The context of that, if you back up to verse 8, said, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might manifest or show up in our body. In other words, and then you go down, we having the same spirit of faith. You know, David used the same spirit of faith as talking about that David used, that Jesus had, David had. David, when he ran at Goliath, he had a spirit of faith. We believe and therefore speak. He said, you uncircumcised Philistine, how dare you defy the armies of the living God. I'm going to actually cut off your head this day. But you know, he still had to go against Goliath. That stone embedded in him, killed him, and then what? He did what he said. Cut off his head. Brought him in. That's the spirit of faith. But with the spirit of faith, you may be troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're, we're in the world, not of the world. In the world, Jesus said, you know, it's, this is good news. You will have trouble. So here in this world, I'm prophesying to you today, you will have trouble. But that's not the end of the sentence. He said, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And so when he overcame the world, he overcame the world for you and for me and your life situation and my life situation, that there would not be one thing in the world that could conquer what Christ has already done. The, the, the thoughts will come, reasonings will come, the devil himself sometimes will whisper in your ear and try to make you think that you are more special than anybody else. That like your situation is more special, what you have done is worse than anybody else, and so you're like excluded from that. But there is not a mess up that anybody, any of us could do, any of us could come up with, that Jesus has all not already paid the price for and made a way of escape. And he knows what it's like. Somebody said to me, maybe three years ago now, like, well, I understand he was tempted at all points, but the thing is, I have messed up, and he never messed up. <laughs> so I know what it's like to mess up and have the feeling of the mess up. And I said, don't you know that the guilt of that mess up was put on Jesus? Because if you read down to verse 21, him that knew no sin 
was made to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was made sickness for our sickness. He was made poverty for our lack. He was made sin for our sin. So that we could be made healthy, righteous, holy, blessed. It's the great exchange. We take what we have and we give it to him. We come by faith and through grace we receive what he has done for us. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be born again this morning. There's a song, and I'm not going to ask Jessica to play it. We did not discuss this. Uh, But it says, come just as you are. I love that song because so many times, as human beings, we want to try and fix ourselves up in order to come to God. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my makeup on. I'm not as a guy, but anyhow. If I was a woman, I'm going to put all my makeup on. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to put my deodorant on. I'm going to get all fixed up so I can come to God. Well, we all appreciate that, but... You can't actually come and fix yourself before you're changed on the inside. The problem is from the inside, not the outside. And when you try to live your life and you set all these standards that you see, maybe maybe they're even godly standards, and you say, okay, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Sooner or later, the weakness of your flesh comes in and you make a mistake and you fail and you find out real quickly how amazing you're not. But if you come to Jesus just the way you are, then he will take all of your weaknesses, all of your faults, all of your inabilities, and he will say, here, son, daughter, let me have those. I'm going to exchange all that I have, and I'm going to give you everything that's in me, I'm giving to you. Everything that's in you, I'm taking away. Literally, the Greek says, concerning the sickness part that he nasted it he lifted it off of you so it does not belong to you it's trespassing on God's property because when you're born again you you're not your own you're bought with a price so every head bowed every eye closed if you're here this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you can know today somebody said well I'll find out when I die if I go to heaven or not you don't want to find out then You can know now that you are born again, that you are a child of God, that you're in the family of God. In an instant of time, faster than I can snap my fingers, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life is changed from the inside out. If you're here this morning, you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just slip up your hands so we can pray with you and pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to actually be thrilled with you that your life is forever changed, forever given to the Lord. If that's you this morning, just slip up your hand so I can see it. We want to pray with you and pray for you.
Second of all, if you're here this morning and uh, you were a Christian, but you let all of the stress and the worries and the cares and just the speed of life come in and become a wedge between you and the Lord and your relationship with the Lord and you'd like to come back and rededicate your life to the Lord. If that's you this morning, slip up your hand. We'd love to pray with you and pray for you. And thirdly, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you'd like to, Jesus said, wait until you be filled with power from on high. There is an experience after you're born again called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where it's the difference between you drank a glass of water and you drank so much water you got full of water. If you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, slip up your hand. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, we thank you. Thank you for taking our failures and our sins, our sicknesses, our disease, our poverty, our lack, and putting them on Jesus. Thank you for setting us free, and thank you for giving us your very life and your nature, your love nature, that we have your love to love with, that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Father, I pray this week as we go that the word that you spoke through our hearts into our hearts, Father, would come back to our memory, Father, that we put it into practice. We ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you in every way for each and every person. Father, I pray if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that has never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Father, that they would understand the reality of the life that you offer, the reality of the freedom that you bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.